Okay. Good morning. I am glad to be here with you today, and I am really glad to see you. You know, we just sang a song, He is Everything to Me to Me. Did you sing that just now? Do you believe that? Is Jesus everything to you? I hope so. I hope that's the reason that you're here today, because Jesus is everything to you. I want to talk with you a little bit about a story we find when Jesus was in the midst of teaching about discipleship, and here's a story we read out of the book of Luke, chapter 14. It says, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. So this guy's just excited. He says, he hears Jesus teaching about discipleship, and he says, praise God for everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Isn't that wonderful? But Jesus says to him, a man once gave a great supper and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. So this guy plans a big feast. I mean, he's invited all of his friends. He invites everyone to come. And it's going to be a, just a, a great day. I mean, it's going to be a good thing to be a part of. This, this man has invited all these friends. And so he sends his servants to go get them. Say, okay, it's time. Now, at our house, I'll be out in my office working. And back when the kids lived at home, Carrie would send one of them out to the office to say, supper's ready. And what that meant was stop working and come in the house, right? Don't keep going. Sometimes I would say, okay, I'll be there in just a minute. But I got something I need to finish first, right? That's what's going on. These people began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. So he's, he's bought land, and he needs to go check on the land. Another one said, well, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. They all have these excuses, these reasons why they can't come to this feast. Now, the guy just said, blessed is everyone who eats in the house of the Lord, in the kingdom of God. He says, yeah, this kingdom, there's a feast, and everyone's invited. And these people all make excuses. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have done or commanded has been done, and still there's room. And he, the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now, Jesus ends up this story with the master of the house being pretty frustrated that the people who were invited to eat didn't come. And so he says, go invite other people. And they said, well, we have, and there's still room. He said, just go out into the streets and invite people. Now, there were a few times in our home when the kids came and said, it's time for supper, and 
I said, okay, I'll be there in just a minute. And I was finishing up something and I was doing my thing. And, and then when I finally got into the house, they'd already said the prayer and were well into the meal without me. Uh, but Carrie never went and got the neighbor to come sit in my seat. <laughs> she never went and just out into the street and started bringing people in instead of me. And when I came in, she never said, no, you can't have any of this. But that's the picture that Jesus draws here. And the idea that I want to talk about a little bit, this, this story was in the episode of The Chosen that we watched in, on Wednesday and got me to thinking about this. But the real message that I want to talk about a little bit today is the excuses that these people made. These guys, I mean, they weren't just saying, no, I don't want to. They were too busy. And that got me to thinking about the fact that, have you ever been too busy to serve the Lord? I mean, have you ever been so busy that you knew there were things you should do for the kingdom of God, but you just, you didn't have time for it? You knew there were things God wanted you to do, but you just, you had other stuff going on and you, you were just too busy. You might say, well, no, you know, I, I really try not to be too busy for God. But you know what? Many people are too busy for God. Many people in this world today. And what I want us to do today is I want to consider some of these excuses that are made, some of these reasons that get people too busy to serve the Lord. And in doing that, I want to ask you to do this. I just want to ask you to be honest with yourself. I want to ask you to consider yourself. Does this describe you at all? Are you ever guilty of being the kind of person that makes these types of excuses to not serve God in ways that you should be serving God. The first one is family. I want to talk about Is there anything wrong with family? The Bible says he who finds a wife finds a good thing. In fact, in the book of Genesis, God created man. And he said it's not good that man should be alone. So he made a woman for him so he wouldn't be alone. Family is a good thing. We all hold up family as a wonderful thing, right? Not only are wives and husbands a wonderful thing, but children are a wonderful thing. The Bible says that children are a blessing from God. Happy is the man who has his quiver full, it says. Children, Ryan, aren't children great? <laughs> there you go. That was right on cue. Children are fantastic. They're wonderful blessings. But I'll tell you what, children and wives and husbands and parents come with a lot of responsibilities. There are a lot of obligations. You know, we've got some pictures up here. We got we got parties that have to be done. We got teaching the kid to hunt or do gymnastics or uh, we've got sitting and having coffee with our kids. That's one of the things I recommend people do is meet their kids for coffee. You got graduations. You got time alone just together for the just the two of you. Got your weekly date night or monthly date night or yearly date night or whatever it might happen to be. There's obligations and it's time demanding to have a family. There are things that just eat up your time when you have a home. Is there anything wrong with that? Well, obviously not. God wants you to be a good husband. God wants you to be a good wife. God wants you to be good parents 
And to do that, you've got to give time to your family. But this guy used that as an excuse not to serve God. He said, I have married a wife and cannot come. Now, I don't know what there was about having a wife that kept him from coming to this. I don't know if his wife had honey-do lists that he needed to take care of. I don't know if his wife was having an emotional day and needed him to be around. I don't know if she'd already made plans for the family that day. I don't know. But for some reason, this guy's answer was, well, I've got a wife and I can't come. This isn't the only place that Scripture warns about family being more important than our responsibilities to God. Look at this. Jesus was talking to some disciples. One said, I want to follow you. And another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So this guy, Jesus has invited people to follow him. This guy says, I want to follow you, Lord, but first I need to go bury my dad. And Jesus says, you let the dead bury the dead. Come on and follow me. Now, when I, I used to read that thing, man, that sounds harsh. I mean, what could be wrong with burying your dad? You think Jesus really wants us to not bury our parents? But it's only harsh if you read that in a way that means his dad's already died. You know, this fellow very well may be saying, you know what, after my dad's gone, I've got responsibilities with dad now, but after dad's gone, then I'll come and follow you. Jesus says, no, you don't wait. You don't wait till your responsibilities with your parents are over. You don't wait till your responsibilities with your kids are over. You don't wait till any re family responsibilities are over. You follow me now. Jesus said this just a little later in Luke 14. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now that's another one of those that's you read it on face value, you're going, okay, Jesus, now I thought he was about love and he's telling us to hate our family, right? Does, do you hate your family? No. Does that mean you can't be a disciple of Jesus then if you don't hate your family? This word hate here means love less. That's what it means. It means you love your family less than you love Jesus. Do you love your family? I hope you do. I hope you desperately love your family. I hope you love your family enough that you'd do whatever you needed to do for their own good, even to your own hurt. I hope that. But you have to love Jesus more. You have to love God more than you love your wife or your husband. You have to love God more than you love your kids. And Jesus very plainly here says, if you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. Now you can think you're my disciple, if you love your kids more than you love me. You can pretend you're my disciple. You can be a part-time disciple. But you cannot be my disciple if you love anyone in this world more than me. 
Now that's hard to fathom, isn't it? Hard to fathom. It's as much as you love those who are dear and close to you. But Jesus is very plain. Jesus is worth being number one in your life. He's worth whatever that cost, even if it's the cost of family. Look at this. While he was still speaking, this is Matthew 12, he's speaking to the people. Behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. So Jesus is up and there's a huge crowd around and his mother and his brothers, now you know his mother was Mary, and the brothers come to talk to Jesus. And he replied to the man who told him, Who's my mother and who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus is there preaching. Mary and the boys come. They want to talk to Jesus. They send someone in and say, Hey, your family's here. They want to talk to you. And he goes, Who's my mom? Well, he knew his mom. He knew who she was. Who's my brother? He knew who they were. Then he looked out and he said, this is my family right here. Now, you know, in the world that we live in, being on a team and a part of a team is important. Every workplace tries to have a team mentality, right? We all want to work together as a team. We're a big family here at In-N-Out Burgers or wherever it is you might happen to work, right? Every sports team, it's, oh, we're family. We're family. Every school, be a part of the Mustang family. Who's your family? I want to ask you to think about that. Who's your family? Who do you identify? Not, not blood family, but who's your family? What Jesus is saying here is, what makes someone my family is the faith in their heart, not the blood in their veins. That's what makes someone family. We talk here about our church family, don't we? Don't we call this our church family? We do. Why? Because we share faith. We have the same faith in our hearts Whether or not we share the same DNA is irrelevant. What matters is the family heart. Now, it's not just family, though, that people had an issue with using as an excuse. Because some people's excuse isn't their family. Some people's excuse is their job. They're real busy working. Is working a good thing? Well, the answer to that probably depends on whether you're over 20 or not, <laughs> right? Because if you're young, you don't think working is that good a thing. But if you're older, you think working is a good thing, especially if you get out and you're trying to support a family, right? You need to work, don't you? Most of us here have jobs. If you've ever gone through a period of time where you didn't have a job and you needed a job, you're probably very grateful to have one, aren't you? Having a job is a good thing. I mean, it provides food for us. It provides a way to live. It provides our necessities. That's important. Not only that, here in America, our jobs provide us not just necessities, but they provide us niceties, don't they? I mean, they provide us far more than just the essentials of life. And we can get pretty committed and dedicated to our jobs to the point that they just consume our whole lives. Right? 
That's what these people did. They made excuse. I purchased some land and need to go see it. Please have me excuse. Now, if you buy some land, is it legitimate to need to go check out the land you bought? Most people don't buy property sight unseen, do they? You need to check it out. The next guy says, I bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. Should he have gone and examined his oxen? Is that important? Yeah. All of that stuff's important. None of this stuff is bad things to do. But you see, examining oxen or examining land is not more important than serving God. Being, being involved and being good at your job and being successful at your job. Is that a bad thing? Is that bad? Anyone? No? No. That's not bad. In fact, the Bible tells us in Galatians, when you work, you work as though God is your boss instead of a man. You do the very best you can. He says, whatever you put your hand to do, do it with all of your might. God wants you to do the best job you can at your job. He wants you to be excellent. He wants Christians to be the best employees and the best bosses there are. That's critical. But not to the point that it gets in the way of me serving Christ. Got to be committed to Christ first. Look at this. He told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now this guy was unusual. He was unusual to the point that he had earned enough and he was going to quit trying to earn more. He had enough. Now most people never ever stop trying to earn a little bit more throughout their whole lives. This guy was. He said, I've done it. I've worked hard. And the problem with that wasn't that he was wealthy. The problem wasn't that he had a lot of money. The problem wasn't that he had possessions. The problem was that he was rich toward himself, but not rich toward God. If I offered, if I could do this, and I can't, but if I offered to give you a million dollars, I said, hey, after church today, hang around. I want to visit with you for a minute. I'm going to give you a million dollars. Would that make you happy? Would you be excited about that? Would you like that? If I was to give you a million dollars. What if I told you, okay, I'll give you a million dollars, but the catch is you don't wake up tomorrow. That's it. I'll give you a million dollars, but that's it. You don't wake up tomorrow. Would you want that million? Most people say no. Some people would go, well, you know, I could leave it for my family, or your family would rather have you than a million dollars. I promise you that. Well, most of you, <laughs> I hope. I promise you, your family would rather have you than a million dollars. You see, we all inherently understand that possessions 
are just temporary. But our relationship with God is not. Now, what have you committed yourself to? Have you committed yourself to excellence in your career, excellence in in doing the best job you can and making a good living for your family and providing and giving to those in need? Have you committed to that? That's great. Unless you've done that to the point that you don't have time for God. And if you've done that, then you've made a mistake. Another thing that people get themselves interested in that gets them too busy for God is entertainment. Okay, We've got uh, scrolling on your phone, playing video games, reading Harry Potter, and going to the movies and watching TV and the cowboys and hiking and fishing and hunting and stuff like that. And we could put lots of other things on that. On that. Is there anything wrong with entertaining yourself? Have some time for entertainment, some downtime. Is there anything wrong with that? No. In fact, the younger generation right now, really most of them, it seems, believes this is more important than working. (laughs) You know, they'd rather take a gap year than spend more time in school and get out earlier and get to work. And I'm only going to be 21, so I want to do it when I'm in Italy, you know, and I'll never regret that kind of mindset. I want to enjoy my life. I want to have fun. Is there anything wrong with that? No. Not a thing in the world wrong with enjoying yourself and having fun. But there's many warnings in Scripture about this. He talks about those who are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So they have an appearance of godliness. And he said, avoid such people. He said, if you know someone who loves fun more than they love God... Don't hang around with those people. Those aren't the people you need to choose for friends. You need to choose people who love God. And certainly, it goes without saying, you don't want to be the kind of person who loves pleasure more than you love God, do you? Do you love pleasure? Do you enjoy that? Rejoice, O young men, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. You know, there's a little bit of truth in that. You'll only be 20 once, and so enjoy what you can in life. There's a little bit of truth in that, isn't there? Because as you get older and older and older and older, It's not as easy to enjoy life, is it? There's just health issues and and other things that weigh you down. It's not as easy. You're not as unencumbered. When you're young and don't have family, you can just go and do whatever you want to go and do and and then you get family and you get work and you get then you get older and life is can be a burden when you get older. Solomon recognized that and he said, go enjoy yourself while you're young. Just don't forget. Always the rock that you're walking on as you go to have fun is this. God's going to judge me. I'm going to be judged for how I'm investing my life and what I'm doing with the things of my life right now. Jesus, talking in Matthew 24, says, Phrase, In those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. 
so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now Jesus is talking here about when the flood came. And he said, until the day it came. You know, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He went around preaching to everyone. There was going to be a flood and they needed to repent and come to God. He did that for a hundred years. And people heard him. They go, yeah, 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 right. Crazy old man. And they didn't do anything about it. And they were still having their parties and planning their weddings and planning their trips and, and all of that until the day the flood came. Until that day. Then all of a sudden it was autumn and it was too late. Jesus is saying the same thing here. You cannot just numb yourself with your enjoyment and seeking the fun that you can have in life. Solomon said this, I said to my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So Solomon, the wise, wealthy man, he could do anything he wanted. said, just go do whatever. I'm going to test my heart with pleasure. Behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my heart. I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly. I got singers, both men and women. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept from my heart no pleasure. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He says, I... I did everything. I mean, he had tickets to front row seats on every Broadway show that existed. I mean, he got to do everything he wanted to do. He got to take every trip. His bucket list, you got a bucket list? His bucket list got all checked off. (laughs) I mean, he did all that stuff that he wanted, everything he wanted to do. And he said, you know, in the end... It's like trying to catch the wind. You ever try to catch the wind? Chase the wind? Can you catch the wind? He said it it's nothing it's it's emptiness. That's what the word vanity means. It means it's pointless. Searching for this entertainment is absolutely pointless because once it's over. It's just over and there's nothing to be gained from that. A relationship with God is what's most to be gained. Now there are other things other than these three things that keep us busy in life, right? There's tax time and there's traffic and there's laundry and cooking and remodeling the house and all of the other things that can keep us so busy with life. There's something that I've heard called the tyranny of the urgent. Maybe you've heard that term, but what it means is whatever's urgent right now rules my life, right? Have you known people who live that way? I've known people that every day it was the tyranny of the urgent. Okay? Whatever was urgent, whatever had to, all the laundry's got to be done because we got no clothes. Okay? Kids are going to be re-wearing the underwear. So we got to do laundry today. And that's what dominates the day. Whatever the urgent issue of the moment is, all of those things in their place are fine. 
But those things, when they get in the way of us serving God and following him, are not fine. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sisters left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Now you've heard this story before probably. They're there. And I heard a guy uh, who was a famous speaker talking about, he wasn't talking about this in particular, but he was talking about this general topic. And he told about meeting someone who was a big fan of his, and she was just desperate to have him come and visit her. And so he was in her area, and he said, you know what, let's stop by, I've got 15 minutes in the schedule, I'll go and visit this fan, this woman who's written me all these letters, and she's such a supporter of mine. So he goes to her house, knocks on the door, she says, oh, it's you, you know, come on in. And he said, listen, I've got 15 minutes. Oh, that's fine, here, sit down, can I get you some tea? What can I get you to drink? And and she goes about, he says, no, I've just got 15 minutes. That's okay, I'll get you. And she gets off in the kitchen and, and gets, and finally she comes out with the tea and the cookies or whatever it is she had, and it's been 13 minutes, and he goes, sorry, i got to leave. She didn't get to spend any time with him because she spent all the time getting ready, getting stuff ready. That's the story Jesus tells here. Do you spend your life getting stuff ready? Get so busy with things? I was talking to my class at school about this this past week, and I said, you know, if Jesus was going to come have supper at your house, would your mom clean the house before he came? <laughs> you think? Oh, yeah. Would, would you all have some kind of fancy... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Well, we want to do our best for Jesus. That's good. That's wonderful. But if you do that instead of spending time with him, what point is there? You've missed the whole value of that. And if you get so busy with whatever it is in your life, be it a hobby or anything else, and you miss serving Jesus, God's people have always had time to serve him first. In the Old Testament, we find a story of Isaac traveling. And he comes to a place and says, He built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. Now this is just a simple little verse in Genesis 26. But notice how it shows the priority that this man had. Look, the first thing he did is he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. Now he had a family that needed a tent. They needed somewhere to sleep tonight. That's not the first thing he does. The first thing he did was he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. He had livestock that needed water. It's going to take some time to to dig that well. Oh well, the first thing he did was he built an altar and he called on the Lord. The next thing he did is he took care of his family, and then the last thing he did was take care of his business interests. Notice the priority in his life there. 
God's people have always aligned their lives in priority like that. Now, as we look at this bunch of pictures of different things, what is it that you do have time for in your life? What did you do this past week? What are you going to do this coming week? What do you have time for? There are all kinds of different things you could have time for. As we look at this list of things, I want you to look at that and ask yourself, how much of that are you going to have time for this week? Are you going to spend any time scrolling stories and reels on your phone? Are you going to have time to do that a little bit this week? Look at some uh, Instagram stories or reels? Play around round of golf or listen to some American family radio? Have time to do a little hunting or fishing or work some overtime or take a vacation? Maybe you're going to go out to eat with some friends. That'd be a good thing to do, right? Uh, binge a Netflix series? Play some football or watch some football? Grab a nap? See the latest movie? You know, they've got this Jesus Revolution movie that's come out. We've been talking about wanting to see that. You're going to have time to see a movie this week? Going to have time to watch some Fox News or CNN this week? What do you have time for? What about this list? You going to have time to study the Bible yourself any? Now let's be honest. You going to have time to scroll the phone? Are you going to have time to open the Bible? You going to have time to pray every day? You going to have time to attend the assemblies of the church? Maybe Bible study on Wednesday night? You're going to have time to talk to someone about their soul or help someone in the church with something? You're going to have time to check on someone who's elderly or encourage the youth in the church or speak to visitors that we have today? You're going to have time to do that? You're going to have time to help with church fellowships or sing praise to God? Are you going to sing to God any this week? Sing praise to Him? You're going to lift your voice and you say, well, I've already done that. Check mark. Got that done this morning. You're going to have time to be still and contemplate God or be an engaged spouse and parent in a spiritual way to your family? You see, there's nothing wrong with those things. Those are good things. Aren't they? Those are all, except maybe that one. All of them, I don't know, maybe that one too. All of them, are pretty good things. Nothing wrong with them. But you see, the good things in life are very often the worst enemy of the best things in life. It's just a matter of choice. It's a matter of priority. What are you going to choose to prioritize in your life? I close with a couple of final passages. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And the whole point of this lesson is you may not be one who's making all these excuses, but I just want you to be honest with yourself. Are you seeking God and his kingdom first? He says, seek God and his kingdom first. And all the things that you need, they'll be added to you. You don't have to spend your life overwhelmed and be under the tyranny of the urgent. You seek God and His kingdom first. 
not the things of this world. In this last passage, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. God is going to judge everything I do. He's going to judge how I spend my life. And I have that choice. I can choose to fill my life and devote my life to family or work or entertainment or any of a million other things, or I can devote my life to God. If you devote your life to God, there's still time for family. There's still time for work. There's still time for all these other things. But your life is devoted to God. If you devote your life to work, there may still be some time for God in your life. But Jesus said, I've got to be number one. And so my message to you today is to ask you to honestly consider to yourself, is God number one to you? Is that the greatest priority in your life? And does he take precedent over everything else? To encourage you not to make excuses to yourself but to actually put Jesus number one. And you can make that commitment today. Maybe you're not even a Christian. You can be baptized today. Maybe you're a Christian and and you haven't been doing that. Maybe there's some wickedness in your heart that you need to repent of. I don't know. But you can choose today to say, you know what, from now on, I'm not going to walk that same path I walked. I'm going to walk a different path. And my path now is going to be toward God. And whatever I can take with me and comes with me, that's wonderful. But anything else that won't go with me has to go out of the way. And I'm going to choose God and...